0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. Hey, what's up folks? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Here we are in wonderful podcast land where everything's warm and cozy and nice and all that good stuff. I'm really excited for this episode. This one's really cool. Today I'm talking with Joey Bradford who is the guitarist for The Used, a band that I've listened to for a long time and him and I have crossed paths actually we discovered on the podcast a time or two he has a really interesting story he's he's living out a, a really cool life and doing some really rad stuff so I will not bend your ear too much more but just want to remind everybody about the Facebook group the last plug I did we had a bunch of new members so here's another plug if you go to Facebook and type in the tone mob you'll see the group it's a private group. There's about 2,400 of us in there or so hanging out, talking about basically anything that we talk about on this show. So, you know, it it ranges uh, quite widely, but it's a good time and everybody's cool. So if you're a jerk, please don't apply. We, we've already kicked out enough of those already. Actually, I really haven't had to do that very much. Seems to, seems to attract a good crew of people in there. But yeah, that's uh, a place you can go and nerd out. I'm in there almost every day and it's just a good time. And I also want to remind you about Nam because it's coming. And I said I wasn't going to do a pizza party this year, but I am going to do something. I thought it would be fun to do a, a listener meetup of some sort. It would just be weird if we didn't have some sort of tone mob gathering. And so I decided that Thursday evening, so after the show closes on the 16th, uh, Thursday evening at 7 p.m., We're going to go over to the Anaheim Packing District, which is a big food court with all kinds of stuff from grilled cheese, Vietnamese food, uh, Indian food, pizza, of course. They got burgers. I've seen some fried chicken. There's all kinds of stuff. So there's something for everybody there, and it looks big enough to house. We had like 100 people show up to the pizza party last year, and it was kind of crazy. So I don't know how many people are going to show up to this, but I figure we could just all meet up. We can... Eat some dinner, we can talk some tone, talk about the show and just hang out and have a good time. Nothing too official, pretty just loosey goosey, and we'll just we'll all just chill. So yeah, 7 p.m. at the Anaheim Packing District. We'll call it the Tone Mob meetup instead of pizza party, because some people might not eat pizza. I don't know what they're gonna eat. But yeah, I think that'll be a good time. And yeah, that's probably good enough of pluggage for this episode. Well, let's let's get right into it. Let's do it. So without further ado, here is Mr. Joey Bradford from The Used. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host Blake Weiland and with me today I have Joey Bradford from The Used going on man
1: just out here living my life you know yeah just chilling just chilling Doesn't... enjoying the nice southern california winter it's
0: beautiful <laughs> it's a it was a balmy 78
1: yeah i don't think it's even up there yet i think it's like 72 today it's kind of perfect it's oh, disgusting
0: that's di- that's dialed yeah i don't know it what we not. are today but it's wet and cold because that's uh, where yeah. portland is
1: yeah it's beautiful up there though
0: I do love it. I wouldn't live anywhere else, to be honest. I complain about it uh, incessantly, but I actually <laughs> genuinely do love it. Ah, uh, that's beautiful. So you do a lot of things. I maybe it undersold you a little bit as as just being from the used. Like like that's no, not that a, is, <laughs> that's not an under, That is the an,
1: coolest thing I do for sure.
0: That is pretty <laughs> amazing. I'm a big fan, so and have been for a long time, which sounds weird to say, but I have been for a very long time at this point. I can say I've been a fan of things for a long time, which means I'm getting old. Which is, yeah, uh, I feel that. I feel <laughs> that hard. But I think we should probably dive into your your like your whole backstory because I feel like it's probably pretty interesting, and I don't know really anything about it. So let's let's I, do that. Start from yeah, uh, when you first picked up the instrument.
1: Oh, geez. Um, I got into guitar when I was in the sixth grade and my uh my older brother Steven, he had been given a guitar for Christmas, an acoustic guitar, this old Takamini that's was awesome, doesn't exist anymore. But he got it and he, you know, swore up and down, don't even look at it, don't touch it, it's not yours, you know. So I would wait till he went to bed, sneak out and grab his guitar out of the closet and go play it in of the course. middle of the night. Of course. As you do, you know, put it on my lap and kind of play up when where the 12th fret is. And I've I, I distinctly remember discovering that, you know, the octave of an open note was the same on the 12th fret. And I was like, this is this is something. And from there I have no idea how the process went for me learning to be a real guitar player. It kind of just is all a all a blur from there. But but yeah, I started in sixth grade. I had a couple buddies at school that played guitar that were really good and you know showed me how to play some Blink 182 songs and um, you know, I would watch the worship leaders at my church playing GC and D and kind of figured out how to get my fingers to do that at home. And, and then I was off pop punk and worship music got me super into the guitar and, you know, it wasn't even, it wasn't really a passion for me in middle school or high school either. It was kind of just something I did with my friends and played in some bands, played in a pop punk band in high school with, um, with Cove Reber who, who sang for Seosin and is now oh, yeah. American. Oh yeah. So he and I started out together doing that and um my older brother was always in in like the cool band if you guys all remember from high school there was always the band that was good yes and my brother was always in in that band so I was I kind of hung around him and his friends and they all had little brothers and um a couple of those guys I still play music with today so yeah man got into it that way and then man as far as touring and doing it professionally it kind of just happened you know um our group of friends from our high school, from Vista High School, we had a few dudes who ended up jumping into touring bands right out of high school. We didn't even know that that was a real thing. You know, it was an unattainable, like out of our mind thing we didn't really think about doing. But um, our buddy, Phil Scrasso, joined Azalea Dying right out of high school. And some of our friends ended up being crew for them. And then wow. when Cove joined Seosin right out of high school, he was like, hey, do you want to be our merch guy? I'm like, sure, I can do that. I'm not going to college, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, jumped out, started doing merch. I did merch for like five years, started when I was 18. And during that process, I played in a few bands at home and I would kind of fill in for people. Um, I got to fill in for thrice and play a few shows for them playing guitar. Wow. Uh, I played with Static Lullaby for a little bit. Um, who else did I do cool stuff with? I played with Atreyu for a while. Um, I've had the most random random kind of back and forth career you know i went from selling merch to playing in bands and doing small time touring and then i became a guitar tech and then i would fill in for more bands and then um yeah then then the used opportunity came up a couple years ago and uh their manager was managing my band hell or high water at the time with with brandon Saller from atreyu and uh kyle rosa who also plays in dead american and all these insane musicians but we did that and that kind of connected all the dots. I mean, I got to make these relationships with people I hadn't previously made as a merch guy, you know, I was stuck in the front of the venue for years and uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy talking about it in order, but yep. From merch to fill in dude to my bands kind of trying to do their thing and then joining the used and it's been incredible. We just made a record and super wild. I can't believe I'm still doing it.
0: It's, it's funny that you're talking about all this stuff that you've done and I'm, I'm sitting here wondering, I'm like, have I crossed paths with you as an audience I member at some point? Have. Probably so. Probably merch, a couple did, times.
1: Yeah. Doing merch was cool. I worked for, you know, I started working for Seos and I worked for Thrice for a little bit after I, I filled in on guitar for them, which was awesome. I went from guitar to merch and then um, <laughs> I worked for Dredge for quite a few years. That was a lot of fun um you know i would watch them every night they were one of those bands that that blew my mind every single night they played they were incredible and yeah through that i mean i met so many cool bands I got to tour with so many people i went out with um manchester orchestra and brand new and um oh brother and kind of that whole that whole scene of bands from the south and the east coast kind of took me in and i just bounced around all those spots but yeah wild man i'm sure you were at one of the shows we
0: all I we all I guarantee you music. I guarantee you I was at several of those shows. I probably yeah, bought I probably, a t-shirt from you yeah, at some dude, point. Dude, <laughs> I,
1: I see people wearing shirts at shows all the time. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I sold them that shirt.
0: <laughs> That's so crazy. I mean, I've, I'm a, a lot of the listeners know this already, but I'm a diehard Thrice fan. And so As I've been to, yeah, been to almost every show that they've played here in Portland, except for a couple a, cu- a couple where I just had some emergencies, literally, like I was I had tickets but had to bail, and it was heartbreaking. But <laughs> I've I've been there. Uh, it, it's uh, so it's it's kind of funny thinking about. That. I'm like, man, I wonder how many thrice items I've bought bought from you personally, and then and then oh. Seus and <laughs> when Cove was with them specifically, I I was I went to that you know those shows too. So it's kind of I didn't know all that. This is crazy to be be sitting here right now.
1: Yeah, that kind of broke me into this whole industry. Um, you know, Coven, I grew up. He's he's still one of my best friends ever, and we've been working together for like sixteen years now. And yeah, him joining joining Seosin was kind of a big step for our whole group of friends. You know, we had Phil and Asley dying and Coven and Seosin, and we're all eighteen years old, going wow, oh crap. Okay, I guess a it's attainable to be in a band that is successful and and you know pays the bills to that extent when we were kids. You know, mm-hmm. but um. it kind of just opened up a whole world for our whole crew just going like you know there's not really a shelf i mean if you know for us our our little dumb friends we're like well if cove can do it we can do it you know if, (laughs) if phil can make it we can make it you know not realizing that we just have this insanely talented and lucky group of friends but yeah man it was it was a trip like and getting getting to put all those things on my you know quote unquote resume got me got me in the door with a lot of spots and got me able to audition for bands and fill in for people and gave me a little bit of credibility because my friends were, you know, real musicians or whatever.
0: Right. Trip. It's crazy. It's crazy how this all works because, you know, a couple of years ago, even when I started this show, it, it was, I, I, you know, I never thought that I would get to talk to people like you or. You know, and I'm scheduled, you know, knock on wood that it's going to happen, but I'm scheduled to go interview Thrice at, at the end of this month. And it's like my mind, my, my little mind can't hardly handle that because I'm still just this, you know, 15 year old kid in the mosh pit in my head. Oh, you know, dude. it's, it's so insane. I'm still
1: honestly, we Thrice was out on our summer tour with us on on Uproar tour. And, you know, I've known the guys now for 11 years, I guess it is 10, 11 years And I'm still, like, it's still a little tough for me. I'm like, hey guys, like, I know that we're friends now, but you you don't understand, like, Identity Crisis is, you know, my favorite jams ever. And I crashed my car listening to your band when I was 16. Like, (laughs) it's wild that I got to play some shows with them, but I'm still, like, kind of starstruck around my buds, which I guess is this whole industry, right? Like, we tour with so many bands. I I love and I grew up listening to and and, you know, watching younger bands come up and and impress me and get me excited about music is it's such a trip. But, yeah, I'm still like a little kid out there all the time, you know, just getting to high five my my idols and whatever.
0: And it's it's fascinating to me how how I mean, mostly started, you know, interviewing gear people. And so it was fascinating to me that how cool everyone was. In the gear industry and you know pedal makers and all. Sure. I'm like wow they're just like me and then starting to interview more musicians and people that I've really that again like like you're talking about people that I grew up listening to you know and uh, and becoming you know pals with them and it's just like what is this is so crazy we're all the same I thought you yeah. guys were like rock stars. <laughs> but you're just like me. You're a nerd just like me. It's so crazy. It's it's really good, man.
1: You think about, you think about guys in bands and guys that get really good at their craft. It's like, we, you know, we all, we all spent more time in our bedroom playing guitar than, you know, chasing girls or whatever it was when we were young. You know, I did my fair amount of both, but (laughs) but we're all just kind (laughs) of like, you know, we can find common ground with each other. There's not that many people out there that can really relate with this whole weird lifestyle that we've fallen into. And, It's a huge blessing and, and a wild, (laughs) wild life, man. I, I honestly wake up every day going, this is weird that I, you know, I, I get to support my family by playing guitar and writing music and doing things that I really love. You know, I don't feel like I've earned it.
0: I, I can, I can relate to that in a big way. Like I've, I'm like, I support my family by talking. I was told to shut up my whole life. What's going on here? Perfect.
1: Like, yeah, is, I think the, the lesson to life is just do the opposite of what everyone tells you when you're a kid,
0: right? Kinda, I, I mean, uh, you, uh, I I I think you're 100% <laughs> right about that, and that could lead to a rant on the education system that we probably don't want to get into. Uh,
1: we won't touch it. We know. It's
0: all We good. know. If you want to hear my thoughts, uh, e- email me. I'll give you the yeah. whole spiel. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so we'll step away from that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, t- we'll back away from that slowly, like Homer Simpson disappearing <laughs> into a hedge, and we'll get to the gear stuff. So, yeah. what did you start out playing, and where did, what kind of stuff have you ended up with? Oh,
1: man. So, when I started playing guitar, which was kind of short-lived in my career of being a musician, I, I ended up playing bass for most of my career. But uh, when I was playing guitar, man, I remember my first electric guitar I had was a De Armand. And I had stickers all over it. You know, I've looked for, looked this guitar up online since, and it's still like a $200 guitar or something like that. But I remember my dad took me to Guitar Center when I was, how old was I? I guess I was like maybe 14, 13 or 14. Like freshman year of high school, I think it was. I was like, hey, I got to graduate. I'm going to play with my dudes. I need an amp and an electric guitar. So we went. I got this De Armand guitar. It was like a creamy uh painted, just ugly guitar, but it was, you know, had the Les Paul cut. So it looked like a a quote unquote real guitar. And I had a crate amp that had built in effects. And I just, I remember going straight in my room for, for months, just sitting on that amp and messing with the delay and the reverb and, and putting power chords together. And, you know, we didn't have YouTube way back when, so I'm just, you know, watching other people play guitar and, and yeah, man. Um that was that was when I started playing my my crate my D'Armond and then I graduated to an Epiphone Les Paul, also a guitar center purchase. And then I remember my first half stack. I had to have a half stack. I knew nothing about gear, knew nothing about what amp I really needed. I just knew I needed a half stack. I got to have a head and a cab, you know. Of course,
0: of course. And I got
1: a it was a B52 um Man, I don't even remember anything about it other than it was a B52 half stack. It was, a, you know, one half step up from the crate that I was playing, but it was loud enough to play with the drums, which is why I had to get it. I remember gotcha. cranking that crate thing up as loud as I could and I was like, "Man, this is completely drowned out by my my drummer's, you know, splash or whatever he was crushing." But yeah, man, we we got these little rigs and it was me and cove and our buddy Kellen who plays in a band called fruition from Portland. Actually. I don't know if you know them, but they're incredible. Um, They're incredible folk band. Um, And then our buddy, Victor Wilson, he doesn't play music anymore, but he started like a, a charity organization in Vietnam. He's adopting kids. He's like by far better than all of us that are still playing music. Wow. But yeah, we had our band, we would play in his garage and, um, man, we, we immediately started writing songs. That was one thing that that stayed with me forever is a lot of my friends' bands were trying to learn other people's stuff and, you know, oh, we're going to learn some, um, some 41 song or a, a Blink song or whatever it is. And we jumped right into writing music and it, it wasn't any good you know and and our our lyrical content was pretty terrible but <laughs> but we were sitting in a room and we were you know with a notepad and jamming chords and writing stuff down and you know we were able to play a full song together pretty quick and yeah man it was a trip our parents would drop us off and I'd unload the gear out of the trunk of the car and uh, those are some of the some of the best memories i have of playing playing music man it was just kind of like a cul-de-sac at our friend's neighborhood and Different dudes would show up and kind of jam with us sometimes, and yeah, and then we would play. Well, man, my first show ever with that band with the with the B fifty two was in the quad of our high school in ninth grade. We played a show in the quad during lunch, and then that night we went over and we played a show at an ice rink. They set up carpet on the ice, and we put all our gear on the ice, and we played a show. And yeah, and then we were in. You know, we were we were sucked in, and yeah, man, we. I think we did three EPs while we were on all in high school, and you know, never expected it to go anywhere. We were just having fun, and we all played sports and did other crap along the way, and yeah. And then Cove joined a real band, and then we were all screwed. We're like, well, I want to do that too. <laughs> yeah, it's- but man, I didn't. I didn't start playing cool gear until my my senior year of high school. I was seventeen, and I joined a band with um, Kyle Rosa playing drums, who's still my favorite drummer of all time. He plays in Dead American. Um, but we were in this band called Thieves and Liars. It was he and then our buddy Corey playing guitar, who played in Project 86. He was in No Innocent Victim. He was like this hardcore legend a few years older than us. And he took us in and had written all these incredible classic rock songs, which at the time was way over my head. I was kind of like... You know, I've been playing pop punk. Like my my brothers showed me Radiohead and and Coldplay and a couple cool bands, but I hadn't really been opened up to you know even even the Beatles or Zeppelin or Floyd or any of these things that are my favorite bands. Now, I wasn't until I was seventeen that I was really exposed to those bands and that music.
0: I totally get yeah. It.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was just kind of like a product of my environment. You know, I was, I was into Rufio and yellow card and, and these fast punk bands and lag wagon and all this fun stuff. But, but yeah, I'm 17. I joined this band cause I want to play shows and, and play with these musicians that are better than me. And I, even then I showed up and I had borrowed my brother's, um, he had like a three quarter Gretsch bass. It was like a $200 bass. And I had, again, I went back to having this little combo Ampeg amp. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything, you know, and I show up in our guitar player in this little room. He's got two Marshall Plexi full stacks, cranked to 11, no attenuator, no nothing. It was just like, and he's playing a Les Paul like it was the most legit rig I'd ever seen. And I like embarrassingly walk in with <laughs> my little three quarter <laughs> Gretsch. I think I had like a wood nut that I had had built myself cause I blew out the nut and we start jamming and it's like same, same as when I started playing music. I'm like, shoot, I can't even hear myself. We got this insane plexi. We got the drums crushing and I'm playing this little dinky amp, but yeah. So then, then my, my, Gear journey started. <laughs> I got, um, I bought an old. It was a 1972 um, Ampeg eight eight ten, and then I also bought a 1971 Ampeg SVT Ooh. head, which was incredible. And I had two two different ones over that five year span. But that was wild. I mean, I honestly, I played that that rig. I still have the cab to this day, but I played that head pretty much the whole time I was a bass player and I would just run a tube screamer straight into the head and crank that sucker up. And it was, you know, it rarely does, does a bass player at a show have dudes come up and be like, yo, sickest bass tone ever. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's just kind of an afterthought and it's, that's not a bad thing. It's just, it is what it is. But, but that period of my life, it was like every show we would play people would come up to me and be like, dude, your bass tone is so incredible. You know, I was playing a a, a 72 uh, Fender P bass at the time, too. So I was just like, I just had one pedal. I had my tuner, my tube screamer, my TS9. And then, um, yeah, dude, straight into that SVT. And it was it was balls. It was so sick. I regret selling it, but I had to pay rent or something <laughs> for whatever, whatever I was trying to catch up on when I was 22,
0: you know? Mm hmm. And the SVTs, it's hard to go wrong with the SVTs. Like they, they're just, they're just so classic sounding. I, I don't know they're, what it is about them. I don't man, have it just one myself. Like a bass, but yeah, it is like it's like the sound of rock and roll bass to me Straight in my up. head. And
1: I think everyone, all of those records, even the punk records that I listened to growing up, I think everyone was playing those. So it was like, you know, you plug in and turn it to eleven, and it's like, oh, that sounds like every bass I've ever loved you know, and even at the time I wasn't a big, I wasn't huge tone guy. I was just like, well, I want to get stuff that the people I look up to are telling me I should get, like, I'm not going to educate myself at all. I'm just going to buy what I'm told to get. And, you know, I lucked out and realized that it sounded incredible. So I just stuck with it for, for years and years and years. But yeah, man, I played bass forever. I played bass all the way up until I guess, 2015. So the first, like, 12 years of my my quote unquote career I was a bass player and and actually the first time I had played guitar on stage since high school was in 2009 when I filled in for thrice you know Dustin came up to me um I was actually working for uh invisible children on a tour with thrice
0: okay he came up to me
1: yeah yeah so that was 2009 and then you know Dustin came up to me at the merch table and was like hey bud you know, you play guitar, right? I'm like, of course I play guitar. Like, what are you asking? What's up? And he's like, you know, Tepe has to leave for a little bit. Would you be down to fill in and play guitar for us for the next, like, I think it was four shows then that I played. And I obviously said yes. And then he's like, cool, we got we got a day off tomorrow and then a show the day after that. You know, here's the list of songs and he walked away and i was just like oh crap like oh no I, I hope i can pull this off you know i haven't done this in years but i play guitar every day but you know i i Those had are this big weird, shoes to fill yeah I, I, like my favorite guitar player from being a child you know fortunately you know he's like do you know the songs i'm like yeah sure i'll figure them out like i haven't been playing these songs in my bedroom my whole life you know but <clears throat> <laughs> but yeah man it, it was a trip and um yeah, that evening I went on the bus with Tepe before he left and he kind of showed me some of the riffs. He's like, ah, oh, it's easy. You'll get it. Here's the riff. And oh, next one, next one, you know. I'm like, well, yeah, it's easy for you, man. Like, you yeah, wrote you these, you've been playing them forever. <laughs> like, I'm sure eventually it will be attainable for me, but man, I had to slam down um, I think it was six songs that I that I played in the set, and I split the set with two of the dudes from Deer Hunter. Um but yeah, it was a trip, dude. That next day, I sat in a hotel with Tepe's Les Paul, that you know, like his black beauty, that's my favorite guitar I'd ever seen. And I'm sitting, in, yeah, sitting in, a, oh. <laughs> yeah, sitting, sitting in a hotel room, learning Tepe's parts on his guitar. It was like this isn't real. And then got to play the shows, and they were super awesome. You know, I have some crappy footage that I filmed on my laptop that's like backwards. I use the <laughs> like the camera so it looks like we're all left-handed like the, the best footage I have. But, um, yeah, that was you the remember, first time I
0: played guitar. I was going to say, do you remember what the, that is? I don't think I could do that. First of all, like I, I, I can play jump some in. of their stuff, but like, I no, I'm a, I'm a weird, I'm weird about stages and stuff. I, I get, well, <laughs> you, you had, you had a, a lot of practice with it and I haven't, but like every time I've played on stage or, I'm I'm totally fine with like public speaking and things like that. That doesn't bother me, but playing in front of people bothers me. I'm yeah, a, I feel I'm, like I'm the I'm exact weird.
1: opposite. Like really? public speaking kind of seems like I would freak out and seize up, and you know, like my comfort zone and my you know comfort blanket, I guess is is my guitar. And is like that's when I'm able to turn on the switch and become an entertainer and and be an idiot on stage. You know my my thing is, which kind of always been, but my thing is is head banging and running around the stage and sweating and jumping into the drums and stuff like that. That I would is just not what you would expect from my personality off of the stage. But uh, but yeah, getting up in front of people with a microphone and talking about something that that freaks me out. I have nothing to hide behind, you know. Right, right. I but don't know. If maybe
0: it's if it's all this this podcasting stuff, but I don't know. I've always kind of been that way. Like speeches in school and stuff were like, yeah, no sweat. I got this,
1: man. But our yeah, powers combined,
0: we would kill. We would. We'd be great. I don't know what we would do. I'd just <laughs> be talking cool. over you shredding. And that, yeah, I guess that's a that band. Be cool. That's
1: all a band is.
0: <laughs> but I wanted to backpedal a little bit to when I mean, just because I'm a nerd, what what thrice songs were you playing or what do any of them stand out as like being particularly difficult? I
1: I wouldn't, I don't know about difficult, but, um, but I got to play Deadbolt, and that was like, just, I think that was realistically like looking back on it and saying this out loud. Now, I, I think that was probably a turning point for me in my whole career where it was like, Okay, you know, my friend joined this band. He took me on tour to be a merch guy. Like, technically I'm in this world, I can I can find different stepping stones to get to wherever I think I want to be, which I really didn't know. I I even selling merch. I wasn't like I'm going to become a, you know, the guitar player of one of my favorite bands someday, you know, but but when they asked me to play guitar and I did it and it was like, "Oh man, this is this is one of those moments playing deadbolt on stage with my favorite band. Oh man. Like, okay. I think I can, I can parlay this into, into something that is truly what I want to do. And, and I think I do want to be an artist and I do have this bug and I do have, you know, the desire to be one of these guys, you know, And, and I don't know if it's like this for everyone. I don't know if it was like this for the guys in thrice in particular, but you know, these, you you start out on this journey playing an instrument and no one ever tells you about how the industry works or how there's jobs or how there's a way to to truly make it if you really work hard but when it kind of comes it's still super surprising like it's wild like getting to play these big shows and and do anything in front of people that care and and have had their lives impacted by this music is just a wild opportunity and and that moment playing playing deadbolt and we played in uh, Colorado Springs was my first show with the band and we played at the Black Sheep. I'll never forget it. But yeah, walking on stage, I was shaking, you know, <laughs> and of we course. go out and I I went and got to play, oh, man, there was a few songs. It was on the beggars um, tour cycle and I played a few songs off beggars and i played a few other songs i got to play to awaken avenge the dead which was incredible oh. and then, yeah which i actually i know i'm bouncing around a lot but that song i actually got to play with them again a few years later when they when they did their you know quote unquote last show before they came back again they had played at the observatory in orange county and my band heller high water was playing in the smaller room at that venue and i had gone out and watched them sound check thrice soundcheck before our show and i'm sitting there and dustin looks down he's like oh what's up dude he's like hey do you want to play you want to play the last song with us tonight you want to play guitar i'm just gonna kind of jump around and sing i'm like yes you just asked me to play the last thrice song at the last set like holy crap so yeah so i got to run on stage and play the the breakdown to um, to awaken avenge the dead at the end there oh, and man.
0: i love that yeah. part so <laughs> much <laughs> yeah
1: so fun it was such a cool thing so so got to do that and man
0: as I even, as I, was, I sit here i should tell you i'm i look over to my right and i have the thrice flag from that farewell tour hanging above like it covering up guitar cases in my loft basically is what it's doing. But it's like, yeah, that's, so this cool. huge. like, I'm a, I'm a big, like they're, they're so important to me as far as like, like even doing this. I, I don't know if any band has ever impacted me. I like, I can say without a doubt, no band has ever impacted me the way those guys have. So this is all like, I'm nerding out hearing you tell me these things. So it's, oh, pretty, it's pretty I crazy. feel the
1: same, man. It's, it's weird that I even have these stories and I love, <laughs> I love the opportunity to talk about my time with that band. Cause it's, it still trips me out that I have some tiny piece in their band's history. And, um, you know, I think they've only had, they've only had three dudes ever play with them outside of their band and it was all on that tour and it was, you know, me and Nate and Casey and it was a trip, man. It's, it's, you know, I'm stoked that I still get to be around them and still get to play shows with them. And this summer tour was so fun. You know, we were skating every day and hanging out and just kind of being mellow old dudes, but (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's so cool. Yeah. I, I, I got to grow up kind of, Learning from them and then got to play with them and then we we're on tour together and yeah nuts love me some thrice the th- welcome to the thrice podcast
0: yeah welcome yeah welcome to the thrice podcaster which yeah. I mean this is like you know sometimes anyway especially in the beginning yeah. I felt like I was talking about them on every single episode when this show first started yeah
1: well they take all the boxes man their songs are incredible the the lyrical content is incredible their tones are incredible. You know as people they're the sweetest people on the planet like they they definitely were a, a massive influence for me not just from a fan perspective but being able to be around them while i was kind of young in this industry and watch you know the doors that were opened for them by just being the good guy you know they've always had that reputation and they're genuinely sweet people and people want them to be successful you know it's like you get behind someone like that like we we, Mm -hmm. the old you know nice guy finished last is is kind of bullshit. like i've watched i've watched terrible people you know lose everything because they are burning bridges and and just treating people not the correct way and and i was very fortunate to be able to watch a band like thrice you know come in every day and you know thank the security guards the promoters be sweet to everyone like there was never any of that rock star ego stuff and to me i was like well this is my ultimate goal is to be to be like like a dude in thrice or being a band that is has this level of success so i guess all i got to do is just be really cool to everyone which i hope is in my nature and and that's kind of the principles that i've stood on since i've had any opportunity in this industry so
0: shout I out to I think that's those. actually oh yeah i mean i think that's actually important i i said this to to my dad here i don't know probably like seven years ago but there you know well actually it was longer ago than that it was a uh, wow because we're in 2020 now yeah wow, that happens. i'm getting old wow this is ridiculous but in during the financial crisis i was working at a caterpillar dealer and it came down to i didn't know this until afterwards but it came down to me and another guy getting laid off and I, we were both equally skilled and equally qualified and all that stuff, but he was a jerk and I was a nice guy. And so they laid him off.
1: Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's real dude. Like, yeah, we, we all know that we don't, we don't need to be retold or retaught that lesson, but, but honestly it was huge for me at being, you know, 21, 22 years old and getting to watch these veteran dudes just be sweet to everyone and, and really have no issues, you know? hmm
0: <clears throat> good things it's, it's crazy it's crazy how that that works right like yeah you hear the nice guys finish last but i don't i don't really think that's true i i'm with you on that i've never i've never had that experience personally i try to be nice as nice as i can be i've been i've, I've definitely been a jerk in my past but i try to fix well, we're,
1: that you know we're all human but at the end of the day especially in the music industry you know it's very fleeting it's a it's a massive opportunity at something that needs to be earned and just as equally can be lost by, you know, not appreciating where you're at. That's just kind of a life lesson, I guess. But in this industry, especially everyone knows each other, you know, anything that is said gets around. So you might as well be saying, saying the nice stuff and you know, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And yeah. don't and don't do tons of drugs. Those are the simple lessons to success, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Be show up on time. Be nice show to everybody. Yeah. Don't do tons be, of drugs. Be a deal. You'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I'm, I I feel like feel like that's a very good recipe for success. But we got sidetracked, which is yeah. okay. Because that's what this pod that's what this podcast is all about, is being oh, sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> so what what did you end up graduating to after the SVT? Like what did you now that you're a guitar player primarily? Yes. Now that we're what, there what are you rocking?
1: Ten minutes later. Okay. So when I started playing guitar in Hell or High Water, I jumped from bass to guitar and I went in hard. I I had always been playing Fender basses, so um I moved over to Fender guitars and I man, I started with a Jaguar. It was a, a Mexican Jaguar is what I started playing guitar on. And then I got my hands on a Fender American Pro Jazzmaster, which is what I play to this day. So I have, man, I have five Jazzmasters now. And I have a Telly Deluxe that I love. And then, geez, what else? I have an American Strat that I'm still playing. These are all from the last 10 years. You know, I don't have many vintage guitars, but... um, but the American Pros are incredible. So, i have been playing Jazz Masters pretty much forever. And then my amp, my first amp that I got, which I still have, and I'll, I'll bring out from time to time, was the um, the Rockerverb, um MK3. I got it right when it came out. Was right when I moved over to guitar. And um, Jim Root from Slipknot is one of my good friends, and I reached out to him. I'm like, yo, you know, this is a new world to me. I'm overwhelmed with. wanting everything, you know, I want, (laughs) I want 12 different amps. What, what do you think is my move for rock music? And, and he, without a doubt was like, you know, the rocker verb, the MK three is nuts, like super low vintage gains, super high metal gain, you know, really buttery, glassy, clean stuff. Um, and I, I mean, I was sold, you know, anything that Jim tells me with that much conviction, I'm like, well, all right, you're one of the most successful tone gurus that I know. So yeah, I jumped right in. I got uh, got an orange deal and um the homie Alex over in Orange got me set up with the Rockerverb and
0: uh was I'm P- so like I don't know if you know this. I, pro- I haven't talked about it that much. Sorry to interrupt, but <laughs> no, I I I have a decent amount of amplifiers and a Rockerverb has been on my list for so long and you're not making this any easier on me trying to be responsible right oh, now. And I, I s- won't. <laughs> I won't make it easy
1: on you because I swear to you that it's that is my favorite amp. As far as an analog, all in the box, clean and dirty amp, for me as a rock musician, there's there's nothing better. And I will I will backpedal a little bit. The another amp that has also impressed me forever and hasn't gone away yet is the um Oh no, I'm gonna do it. It's the the the, the, the
0: 5150,
1: but the um my Oh, 6505? Right no, no, no. It's the it was the
0: the fifty-one fifty EVH, EVH 5150
1: I was just trying gotcha. to remember EVH like an idiot like the Van Halen yeah, yeah EVH yeah. Uh, the EVH 5150 um, that amp to me is the only thing else that I would I would put up there and like you know must have analog amps for rock guitar playing the clean in particular on the 5150 is wild and I did we B'd, I was in. Um, we got to make a record at Sonic Ranch with Hell or High Water a few years back. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with that spot. Yes. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> I figured you would. No. It's it's incredible studio. Lucky to to be able to record there. But <clears throat> along with just the vibe of the spot, they have every piece of gear you could ever want. I mean, vintage amps, vintage guitars, the whole thing. So we we lined up about five different amps. You know, vintage Marshalls. There were vox amps in there, vintage fender amps, all of this stuff, and <clears throat> I was like almost disappointed for whatever reason but but the e v h and the orange ended up dominating every piece of vintage gear that we put in front of the mics so so yeah the the rocker verb is a must have the e v h is also up there, um you know. That being said, I don't play either of those now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is part of the deal, right? Um yeah. Uh-oh. So you I actually tell me
0: that you went the modeling route, aren't you?
1: Well, I had a I have had some some ups and downs in hybrids and hybrids and my eternal tone journey, as we all know, is a huge undertaking. But so I went from that rig, and and when I started with the used, even I was playing playing the rocker verb live. The first tour I did with them, I was using the rocker verb for all of my dirties. And then I was using a, uh silver face fender twin for my cleans, Ooh. which was incredible. Like that rig was nuts, but
0: that's awesome.
1: Yeah. But being that, um, you know, the use doesn't play small shows. We were playing a lot of these big festivals and we we're doing really, really big, important stuff playing late in the afternoon. So, you know, sh- shows that really can't, be affected by technical difficulties especially being the only guitar player in the band so fast forward to the last show of my first tour with the used we were playing uh welcome to or no what was it um rocklahoma we were in oklahoma city i think it was but there's like ten thousand people we played after the cult and right before a perfect circle so it was like a massive show oh wow And, you know, at this point I have my rocker verb for the dirties. I got the Fender twin for my cleans. And then I had, you know, 10 pedals on my pedal board. There's like a million different cables. There's a million things that can go wrong. So we're playing the show and two, two songs into the set. My, my whole rig is just gone like nothing. And (laughs) my poor guitar tech is the sweetest dude ever. He's running around, freaking out, trying to figure out what's going on, unplugging everything, plugging every ba- everything back in. You know, it's been like a minute and a half at this point. Like no guitar, and and Bert's just talking to ten thousand people. You know, trying to <laughs> trying to keep it going. And at this point, he's like, "All right, well, we're gonna we're gonna sing the Taste of Ink now." And we just sang that song um, a cappella with ten thousand people, which honestly was one of the coolest moments for me ever. But like i'm freaking out like i'm not one to get upset at a tech or anything because we're all just you know no one wants anything bad to happen but that's the the one time in my career that i i threw my guitar across the stage not not like viciously but i like slid it from the ground across the whole stage which i apologize to my tech for after but yeah i was too full frustrated right
0: just like yeah ah. i was
1: just like Mm -hmm. what is going on you know um but anyway, yeah, it was two full songs with nothing. We ended up just running a cable straight to the rocker verb, and I just ended up playing the rest of the set just rock and roll style, which was great. But that being said, you know, we we finished that tour and it was like, hey man, like this can't happen again. We gotta figure out a more fail-safe system. You know, we're getting ready to fly all over the world and do all these shows, like, you know, let's come up with something else. So so yeah, so then I moved into the amp modeling world. And my main goal when I was on the search was to just get rid of my pedal board. I was like, I'll keep my amps and, you know, I'll, I'll get a digital pedal board so that I can, you know, I, only, I was only using a handful of different effects. It'll make it easy. I can make different boards for each song, the whole nine. So uh, the more I dug into it, I was like, well, I might as well just build my fly rig into one case. So I, I ended up getting the Helix. You know, I checked out Axe Effects. I checked out the, the Kemper. You know, everyone, one of them has their pros and cons, but the Helix for me was just kind of checked off all the boxes, the amps you can get to sound pretty good. I was still running them through a live cab and all of my effects was, you know, super user friendly to get to get to where I need. And I have one cable like this is, this seems like the move for convenience. So I played that for a couple tours. And I just couldn't really get the amps sounding the way I wanted, you know, especially coming from like the most balls rock amps in the game to like trying to make something digital really feel close enough for a live setting. So I wasn't really getting there. So now my current rig that I've been playing for, um, I guess, about half a year now is uh the synergy amps I, I moved over to the synergy for all my amps and i'm still running everything through the helix for my effects and all of my song changes and and everything so it's a bit of a hybrid rig um i have the i'm playing um what is it i'm playing an angle savage most of the time for my dirties um and then synergy has like their version of a fender baseman that i use for my cleans i have a couple freedman amps in there um, so, I mean, this whole, this whole synergy thing is wild. I don't know if you've got to mess with them yet. Um, not yet. I it,
0: know about them and they sound, that sounds to me like way appealing. I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that stuff for sure.
1: Yeah. Honestly, the synergy stuff is, I didn't know much about it. Uh um, my buddy Jeff who works with them hit me up. He's like, Hey, I think, you know, you might be a prime candidate to try this stuff out. So, um, yeah. So they, they hooked me up with a rig and I got, went into their, their warehouse in LA actually, and tried out all their amps and tried all this stuff and ended up settling on the, the angle Savage in the basement for my main tones. But you know, they're just cartridges. Like I, I don't know if you remember those old Randall heads that had these cartridges that you could pull in and out and, right. and ch- change the gain staging, do all that stuff. So it's the same exact, um, uh, what's it called? Jeez,
0: platform right or whatever.
1: Um yeah, it's the same um patent. That's the word I was looking for. It's oh, the gotcha. literal same same thing, same mechanism but just built into a one rack unit. So, you know, I have I basically have this thing it's called the syn 2 uh dual module preamp so I can slide in any two amps that I want and it's you know, these these modules are made by the the makers of the amps, the respective amps. So, you know the friedman amps are coming from friedman and and the angle amps are coming from angle and um yeah it's wild i mean the ability to have i have two friedman amps i have a fender bassman and an angle savage you know all sitting in two rack spaces that i can fly anywhere in the world and it's that to me is like my ultimate goal you know cuz it's not digital it's like i'm running tubes i'm running everything legit but it communicates really well with the helix through their through their um preamp there's so many ways that you can route everything so i'm coming straight out of there into four live cabs and then i'm also going through my helix for the effects so i think by the end of my the end of the line my front of house guy has six guitar lines <laughs> which is so silly i mean it's cuz i'm the only guitar player in the band he's like we might as well just get everything make it the coolest sounding thing we could ever do so Makes right sense. now, I'm super happy with my rig. You know, it's it's not quite having, you know, the, my huge analog rig out there with my you know vintage Fender Twin and the Rocker Verb and all that stuff. But it's pretty close. It sounds incredible. I'm still miking up a cab. Like that's kind of that's kind of my biggest deal breaker with the whole digital thing. Personally, is is just going straight to front of house. Like I I need to be feeling a cab on stage and I want to hear. The mic picking up the cab. I don't want to hear the the direct signal, and it's just, it may just be me, but I just don't like the way it sounds. Like I've definitely heard recordings from front of house and seen videos, and everything sounds great. But as far as the feel on stage and in my ears, like I gotta have real cabs out there. So
0: that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm sense. running.
1: Yeah. Right. Like I'm I'm like a becoming an old rock guy. So. I'm playing ball with the young world and I got my hybrid rig that I love. I can fly it everywhere in the world. So I have the same rig everywhere. Um, Yeah, it's tight. And I'm still playing the jazz masters. Um, Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm set right now. I love my rig
0: on the internet. I I'll, I, I'm, I say that I hate the helix and I hate all this stuff, but I don't really, because I've also (laughs) on the podcast, I'm like, if I w- this is the reason I don't the reason I'm not interested in it is because I don't have to be. If I was doing what you were doing, I'd be hyper interested in it. Like well, would be that's super exactly yeah, I'm a that's, glorified that's bedroom player on. at best. Like I just I just come out here to my weird little gear hoard and nerd out on stuff by myself, you know, like I'm not doing what it's you're doing. If I was doing that, I would have I would 100% have a helix. Like yeah
1: and that's you know my my studio which I'm in the process of rebuilding right now but that's always been my my studio setup you know I have my amps stacked up on my shelves and I have cables running to all of them and different cabs in the live room and you know I'm not I'm not privy to just getting a digital signal and recording for convenience when I'm at home like I want to put the work in I want to place the mics I want to make it sound really really cool and then you know, the, the cool thing about the future that we're in now is, you know, I can also emulate all of those sounds. I can I can keep those and, and come back to them for convenience and, and get pretty close. You know, there's tons of insane software to help do that, but I'm not gonna get rid of my amps. I'm not getting not getting rid of the stuff because when I plug into it, it's like, oh yeah, like this is what guitar is supposed to sound like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. You know, and I'm sure you know this too, but you plug into an incredible amp and you're playing an incredible guitar, you feel like a better player like you play yes. <laughs> so much better than than playing through whatever digital software and whatever guitar and you know that stuff really does does matter when you get down to it
0: like i'm I'm far from a good guitar player, but I feel like being such a gear nerd and playing just just simply like time with the instrument like, and just playing so much, you know, excuse me, at least more than, more than old Blake used to, (laughs) I've definitely gotten to be a better player because of gear in a weird roundabout way. I know that that's the opposite effect happens for a lot of people, but because I've just played so much, I'm a better player now than I was like three years ago.
1: Absolutely. And, and even like you said, like even in a three year period, you know, when I When I like officially made the switch back to guitar from bass, you know, I had this weird, this weird blockage that I wasn't good enough to be a a guitar player in a real band. You know, it was it was like, oh, well, I'm good enough to play bass and I'm I'm a confident, good bass player. I think I could be one of the better bass players. And that that's where my confidence kind of stopped for a lot of years, you know, and I think it's because I was surrounded by such talented guitar players. You know, like Phil Scrasso with Azalea Dying, he's one of the most insane, insane guitar players ever, yeah. you know. And I didn't realize that because it was just like my bud, you know. It's like y- you don't expect your friend to be one of the best, most talented people in the world at anything, no matter what. So, you know, I always just had this perception that everyone who's ever played guitar in a band professionally is at least as good as Phil, you know. And, and here I am 15, 16 years later going no one's as good as Phil still, you know, like that guy's just a freaking wizard. So, you know, once I I jammed with a couple other bands and I was around some other musicians that weren't, you know, this insane thing, it was like, oh, these people are just really good at writing songs and, you know, really um, understanding the importance of just laying down rhythm instruments and, and you don't have to be able to shred and do all this crazy you know wild van halen stuff to be able to write a good song and and perform that good song live so yeah once i kind of jumped into guitar i was like okay i can i can do this and and then from playing every day and just practicing and wanting to get better and and really just wanting to be to be as good as phil someday you know i've definitely progressed even in the last four or five years you know 20 25 years or whatever i am into playing guitar i'm still still progressing by practicing all the time and you know especially as a grown dude you don't think that that's possible you're just like well i've reached my potential and and it is what it is but you know you do anything every day and you practice and you really really can show improvements i mean i can the fact that i can play guitar solos now is something that i just didn't think was an attainable part of my life for a lot of years and you know it's it's a trip it's fun beautiful
0: I'd relate to that so hard. I'm just like, so, Oh, you want me to solo? Uh, how about a power chord yeah. instead? Can I do yeah. that? Instead?
1: That'll be cool. Yeah, man. That was, that was some of that thrice stuff. You know, when I had to play those songs, I remember the, the, is it, um, is it deadbolt that has, oh man, there was like a tapping part I had to play yeah, or something.
0: Deadbolt's got some, some shreddy stuff. It's going got on the for tappy. Sure.
1: It's got the shreddy. So I, I remember learning that song in that day or two. And I was like, Oh man, like I can do this stuff. You know, I was terrified five minutes ago. And then all I had to do was just try and learn it and figure it out and get my fingers to do what I want them to do. And I was like, okay, well I can check that box off. Like I now know how to do, you know, finger tapping stuff if I ever care to do it again. So, yeah, man, it's just practicing and, and sitting in your room full of gear is the best thing you can ever do.
0: I just had, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but uh, Daniel Donato was on the podcast here just not too long ago. Just a crazy talented, just insane like country player. And okay. he and he, he's, I mean, he, I've watched him for a long time. He's been playing since he was, or been like in the public eye since he was like 19. So he's been around for, quite a while even though he's not that old he mm-hmm. you know and I've always watched him as one of those guys that's just I'm just like well I'll never be able to do that and that's probably true I probably won't ever be able to do what he does <laughs> but he really inspired me with he was like oh well yeah I'm I've got some natural ability in this but I you know when I first started I was playing 12 hours a day it's like oh you just have yeah. time in like, like yeah. not just but yeah. like he's obviously naturally talented but he's he put in that grind you know that i never have i i've said on the internet a couple of times i've only ever spent 12 hours complaining about things i've never actually <laughs> you know no tried for to sure man it's,
1: it's wild when you really think about um you know you think about a band in particular not just a player or a writer but like a band like the used is a great example so you know the used has a billion records there's a thousand songs there's all this stuff but at the end of the day you know past 25, 26 songs from their entire catalog, there's not much more that you're ever going to play live, you know? So mm-hmm. realistically, if you get really, really good at 25 songs, like that's essentially all you'll ever have to play for the rest of your life. So if you play those same 25 all the time, you know, it's eventually you're going to be the best at those songs. You know, I don't have to know how to play, um, you know, some crazy Ingve solos to be able to play in in a band and and to write songs that connect with people and there's all sorts of these these weird mental blocks that i think we build up for i don't know why or where they come from but there's this perception that i'll never be able to do what these other special people can do um but man, sitting down and just playing the same stuff all the time. It's like, you're going to get good at it. Like you don't have a choice. You're going to get good at that breakdown. If you played a hundred times, you're going to get good at that solo. If you played a hundred times, you know, so it's true. Um, yeah. And even, you know, a great example, I'll keep using it is, you know, I grew up being a fan of the used as well. Like they were a big part of my life forever. And Quinn was actually one of my favorite guitar players and, you know, that's how I got my bought my first DL four is because I saw him using one, and I got obsessed with dotted eighth delay and all this stuff that I kind of picked up from Quinn. Um, you know, never thinking that I would ever get to be playing these parts. So it's a, it's definitely a trip. You know, listening to stuff and practicing something long enough, even from when you're a kid, is it's going to influence everything you're doing.
0: That's, that's, it's so cool that you, you started out as a fan and, and what's, you know, what's trips me out sometimes to think about too, is, is, you know, all these bands that I'm, that I grew up with and that I was a super fan of and still am that I, when I like start doing the research, I'm like, Oh, these guys aren't really that much older than me. It feels like they are because they're doing all these big, amazing things. I'm like, Oh, they're, they're only like five years older than me or something. Yeah. They all just hit, hit it good at 18, man. It's so crazy. There's, there's so many, so many that, that I could point to that fit that description, but it's, it's, it's gotta be a trick. you know, cause my journey was a lot different, you know? So it's hard for me to wrap around, ra- wrap that around my mind sometimes or whatever I just said. For sure. That, right? Yeah.
1: I, man, I was just surrounded by so many people that, that fell into incredible opportunities, you know, like the Cove and Phil thing are, are two massive events in my whole group of friends that kind of set us on this path to, you know, to destruction. Now, I don't know what we're all going to do when we're in our 50s, but for now, we're all still playing music and, you know, starting families and and pulling it off by playing our instruments. And
0: what a trip. Yeah. Yep. Hopefully we can, uh, we can all keep doing that thing to where, you know, we can be a Keith Richards. That's, that's the goal, yeah. right? Yeah, Keith Richards minus stage. the hard drugs.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I may have kept him alive. Maybe that piece of advice is wrong, but doesn't work for I, me. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he's a, the
0: only one. He's. I think yeah, he's an anomaly. That's
1: true. Yeah, he's living off of other people's blood too. I think so. We're good. That
0: could be. He's got he all those people who died from the drugs. He's he's absorbed their energy somehow through <laughs> yeah, cocaine. That's great. A hundred percent. Well, we got just a couple more minutes here and I should probably let you put up a billboard for anything that you want to talk about right now. It doesn't matter what it is. This is your, oh, your time to shine.
1: I will, I will say, you know, outside of me doing the stuff with the used and we have a new record coming out and, and songs that are wild and I can't wait for people to hear, but, um, I'm also managing a couple bands and bands that I'm excited about, you know, so, um. Dead American, who I've mentioned obviously like a hundred times in this thing, um, with Cove and Kyle Rosa and and some other incredible musicians, uh, they're putting out a new record this year as well, and that's nuts. I mean, I know a lot of people have been waiting for Cove to do something something big since Sayosin. and you know they put an EP out about a year ago, and they just finished up making a new record. But they're an insane band. I want people to check out Dead American with Cove, and then there's a band called Dragged Under that are my freaking dudes that I'm also managing and they have a record coming out this month and we're actually bringing them out on the use tour. That's um, fluff's band. Fluff's band. Yes. Fluff <laughs> and Tony and Josh and, and the guys, everyone knows fluff. Um, yeah. All my listeners yeah. are
0: going to super know fluff. I would, yeah, I don't think fluff's I, the guy. Oh man, dude, this is so cool. <laughs> I, yeah, that just, yeah, man. I just connected that in my head. There we go
1: yeah cool dragged under man you got to check them out their songs that are out are, are incredible the songs that are coming out are incredible it's cool how i got started with them too um you know all of you guys know who fluff is and so do i from the internet you know going back to the helix and all of my my searching for my rig when i joined the used i was all over youtube and and ryan came up a ton and i ended up reaching out to him on instagram I was like hey dude like You know, looking into the Helix stuff and and I had some questions about setting up my rig. And he was super helpful, friendly guy, just being the good guy and helping me out. And then kind of out of the blue a few months after we started talking, he was like, Oh, you gotta check out you know, my new band's demos. It was just like he wasn't asking me to manage him. He wasn't there was nothing other than check out these songs. And he sent them to me and I was like, Whoa, dude, this is incredible. Like, I would love to. You know, send it to some people, help out however I can. And, you know, fast forward, I guess we're about eight months in and, um, you know, I'm managing them now. The record's coming out. We're bringing them on tour. And they're they're so cool. They're a band I'm super, super excited about for 2020 and and big in the future. And I'm going to do everything I can for them. And they're just sick. They're just a band that I was like, you guys are dope. Like, I like this music.
0: I want to be a part of it. So So check it out. That's fantastic. That is awesome. Yeah. Good plugs. Those are good plugs. Check out some sweet new bands. That's that's yeah, uh, check the out best new plugs bands. you can do, right?
1: Yeah, who cares about other stuff?
0: Yeah, check out some sweet new music. Go go stream yeah. it right now. You're already on your phone. Stream it. Get it. But after this podcast is over, because there's some stuff I gotta talk to you guys about at the end, probably. Yeah. I always do an nope, outro. We're done. Leave now. <laughs> don't leave. Don't leave, people, don't, don't leave. leave. Actually, I actually have don't no idea leave. if this outro is going to be important or not, but you know, that's entire- <laughs> I don't know when it's coming out. We're going to find out. Exactly. Well, <laughs> this is the last question. This is the big one. This is the one Go people get it. worked up about. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Ooh, that's actually easy. I'm a big pizza fan
1: and my wife and I have kind of always crushed the same Zaw. It's what brought us together. Nice. And we get a pepperoni pineapple black wow. olive yes Shoot, pineapple. I gotta,
0: I gotta go with the pineapple
1: yes pineapple you know it's so interesting to me how heated people get about pineapple on pizza because it's exclusively how i like to consume my pineapple like i'm not a fan of like let's cut a slice and have some fresh pineapple but on my pizza i'm in i'm sorry it. if you guys all hate me
0: well no they i i would say this audience is is right down the middle <laughs> they're they're about they're about fifty fifty if the Facebook group is any indication on the uh, on the the total audience of this podcast. I oh, I, I uh, I'm one of those. Uh, the whole pineapple thing is is weird to me because I'm just not a pineapple fan, just in general. And I haven't I I have been publicly saying I don't like pineapple on pizza way before the internet made it a <laughs> thing. Like this podcast oh, is no. actually older than p- the internet hate of pineapple on pizza. And, yeah, I didn't realize that it was such such a topic of hatred
1: for years. I've That's kind of always been my pizza. And then all the stuff started popping. I was like, oh, great. Of course, I'm on the wrong side of this argument.
0: I don't know. I feel like it's very much. I, I don't know. I feel like it's very 50-50. I don't know if there's a wrong answer. I just know for me, uh, I'm not a fan of the, that particular fruit. So that could <laughs> change. We, right? uh, that could change.
1: I used to work at a uh, pizza shop. I delivered pizzas for a long time with like a ton of dudes that were touring musicians to It was a trip. But, um, it, the, the pineapple pizza that they would make at, at our restaurant in Lucadia, they would put cinnamon on it. And it Whoa. was a delightful change of events. Interesting. You, try that. See that. you order your Hawaiian that. with cinnamon. It's good.
0: Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'll have to put some thought into this. Yeah. You don't though. have to do it. It'll... I feel that. <laughs> Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a really great treat, and uh, I think we should slide over to Patreon now. What do you think? Let's do that. All right. All right, everybody. For Joey, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck in good tones. Okay, that does it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you need more, guess what? Joey was kind enough to hop over to Patreon. Patreon and hang out for even more content. So, if that's your thing, for five bucks a month, you can help support the show and keep this thing going, and get extra episodes every week. Sometimes they are extended interviews like this one, sometimes it is me and my good friend Justin Porter nerding out on gear and nonsense, and sometimes it's me doing my own lonesome little pedal demos and other sorts of audio kind of. I don't know what you would call it. I guess just other forms of audio content. But mostly, it's been other interviews lately. So if you like the show and you've listened this far and you want more of it, that's where you go. So head over to patreon.com slash tone mob for more of me and Joey. And I hope to see you guys at NAMM because I think this is, is this the last episode? No, there will be one more that comes out before NAMM. So you'll probably hear about NAMM for a while, but I'll try to keep it to... To a minimum. I know you get beat over the head with Nam coverage as soon as the, that show hits, but I will do my best. All right, everybody. Talk to you next time. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company. And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com slash StringJoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is is mob.com And that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at gun street wiring shop. Yes. Gun street wiring shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what?